0: Born on the streets of Los Angeles, California, Urban Confessional began as a community of actors determined to challenge the status quo. Every week, they stood on street corners in LA with signs that read, free listening, and opened their hearts to anyone who needed to laugh, cry, scream, or chat. Over the years, the community has grown to include people from all walks of life, across six continents, 50 countries and 40 states urban confessional has been recognized in the la times npr the Huffington post the atlantic the star tribune and many other popular news sources urban confessionals tagline is being heard is so close to being loved that most people can't tell the difference
1: so welcome to our second episode on the someone to tell it to podcast Today's guest is Benjamin Mathis, actor, writer, speaker, and founder of Urban Confessional, a free listening movement. Ben has become a dear friend of ours, and we are thrilled. We are thrilled to have him on our program today. So Ben, you obviously have a very similar heart, as well as a similar passion, and an even concern for the current and future state of our world today. We'd like you to tell us a little about yourself and why you felt compelled, or dare we use the word called, to start Urban Confessional.
2: Well, I'm, well, there's nothing like a good divorce to make you reevaluate everything in your life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly right where I found part. myself about seven or eight years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I had hit really a low point in my life. I was trying to do too many things and be too many things to too many people and I uh, was neglecting the people closest to me and, and that ended in divorce and I, and I was in therapy and I was um, I was drinking a lot and, you know, which is usually a little cheaper than therapy. So, you know, I was numbing everything out and one day um, I called a therapist friend of mine and, and we were just chatting and, and um, he pretty much told me to listen. He told me kind of to shut up, quit fixing things and just listen. And I hung up the phone and thought, oh, that's a good idea. And he kind of planted that idea in my metadata, if you will, kind of in the back of my mind. I, at the same time, I was running an acting class and I was looking for ways to incorporate service into an artist's process. Because I believe that the more you serve others, the the more you heighten your empathetic sensitivity and, and the better artist you can become. And, and by serving the world, you serve yourself and you serve your art. Which you use to serve the world and it's this beautiful cycle so i was looking for ways for this group of actors to to serve people and um i had interviewed with some uh, homeless shelters and things like that and for good reason there's a lot of bureaucracy and i thought this doesn't quite feel right to us to me so one day l- literally i was crossing the street i was going to class and i was kind of in in a dark place oh certainly in a dark place and a guy a homeless guy asked me for some money I didn't have any. So I said that I would pray with him and I had never really done that. But um, you know, when you got, when, when you have no more pride, it's funny what you're willing to do for God. And <laughs> I prayed with him, and uh, I thought, wow. I mean, we literally stood in the middle of the street and just kind of said a, a prayer and, and I thought, wow, this is a, a pretty amazing connection with another individual. And it felt restorative to me and it felt honest and vulnerable. And it also felt like everything I was trying to teach artists to be. So I I finished crossing the street and I thought, well, how could I get the people in my life to understand this experience in an ecumenical kind of way? And I said, well, what's, what would be the closest thing to free prayer, which would be a powerful thing to offer the the public? I thought, well, probably free listening is the closest thing to free prayer. And so then I went up to my class and I said, Hey, I'm going to go do this thing entirely voluntary. I said, if you want to join me, uh, I'll be at the Metro station, uh, on Thursday morning. And, and that was on, I think it was May 30th or mid-May somewhere 2012. And then it never stopped. And, um, we probably did it for three years before anyone noticed we were out there. I was out there sometimes four hours a day and, and then, and then other people wanted to participate. And so we had to create sort of, uh, you know, here's how you do it and not get killed doing it kind of stuff. And, um, and then it just took off. And, and now to, to kind of update what you read earlier, we're, we're in about 80 countries now. And I just got an email from Doha in Qatar, somebody wanting to volunteer. So people reach out, they see us on social media, they hear about us somehow, and they reach out and and then we facilitate their process and get them trained up and they go to the streets and, and start listening to people. It's such a beautiful
0: mission, and uh, we're proud of you for for listening uh, to the the urgings of your heart and following those dreams. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, one of the things is that we've followed you actively on social media. We're one of those followers. And a little known fact is our friendship actually, if you remember, initially began as a virtual one. Yep. Uh, And in the early years of Someone to Tell to, I, Tom, handled Someone to Tell to social media. Thankfully, I don't do that anymore. I've been happy to pass that off. (laughs) But nevertheless, um, as we started using similar hashtags, uh, Urban Confessional just kept coming up in our news feeds. And after doing some research, I realized that Urban Confessional was doing some incredible work in this listening space, if we want to call it that. And so we decided to reach out. And, uh, we set up an initial phone conversation a few years ago. And and now here we are today with Ben, um, on your social media accounts. You most often use positive messages, uh, such as our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy or another one. How sad is it that we give up on people who are just like us? Change begins with listening. Uh, a few others is, if you listen hard enough, everybody's got a sacred story or another one we've appreciated is hope is real and hope is happening and many, many others that we've valued along the way. How are you reshaping social media through your messaging and why do you feel compelled to share
2: messages of positivity? Wow, that's a great question. And, um, you know, a few of those, the, the first one you shared our job is to love others, whether without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. That was, that was Thomas Merton who said that. And and I think the following was our, our, our mutual favorite friend, um, Mr. Rogers. Um, but you know, to me, social media is such a powerful thing and I love it. And also I understand, uh, it's shadow side. There's, there's very much an under net to the internet. That's kind of a darkness and, And you can, as with any type of power or influence, you can use that power to support others, or you can use that power to suppress others. And I have found, um, especially on Instagram and and Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, especially, which is such a visual medium, so much about our relationship to social media is, is a taking relationship. It's a grabbing, it's a, what am I going to get? from doing this. So a lot of people use their social media to promote what it is they're selling or to promote themselves or to um, promote an agenda of some sort. And and I kind of want to do the reverse. I would rather use social media to be the person offering something. So it's my hope that every time you visit our social media presence in any way that you leave better than when you got there, even if it's just a second. Because I do believe, this is crazy for me to say, I'm definitely in California, but I'm going to say it anyway. I do believe that the creative force of the world will use creative means to get to you. And just because it's a meme on on Instagram or Facebook, just because it, it comes to you via social media doesn't mean that it may not exactly be what it is you need to hear. And the more ways that we create to reach each other, it's my hope and belief that the divine is using those ways to reach us. And if, if I can source what I would consider to be inspired quotes or inspired images or thoughts that make people think or feel, then it's my hope that we can reach them with a different uh, message. And we can use something which frankly is relatively mundane in the grand scheme of things. And we can actually elevate its Medundity, if that's a word, we can elevate its modundity to something that can actually impact people. And so, so I get to look up these quotes and look up things that seem to resonate with our message and seem to shift me. And then we just post them. I mean, we're not doing any work. We're, we're really just the conduit for those messages that, that many other great thinkers have have originated. And, and then we get to share those with people. So it's my hope that anytime you visit Urban Confessional on any social media platform that you're going to leave better than when you came. In some way,
1: we love that message. That's 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 tremendous. But we want to ask you: Have you ever gotten criticism about that or about the positivity oh, <laughs> that you share and the and the hopeful messages on social media? I mean, okay, oh man. So you obviously oh, have. So tell us, tell us, tell us about what you hear.
2: Well, on 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 social media, just some of the positive messaging. I don't get too much pushback. Um, I think because just the nature of the engagement isn't uh, on so it's difficult to talk about social media as a blanket statement because each of the major platforms have a different, um, catalyst behind the engagement. So on Instagram, we just mostly get positive. We get people double tap. It's a like, and then we get some comments about people who agree with what we've just said, um, on Facebook. It, it is amazing how, um, I think Facebook people are, are prone to arguing a little more and we don't put out anything that, um, we, we don't take, any type of political stance or anything like that in our messaging. So I'll say something like, um, I think we posted something recently about, being hurt is so close to being loved, most people can't tell the difference. Maybe something like that, and then somebody always comments. You know, they'll always say, "Unless the person blah 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 blah." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it, it incites their need to be right, and, and it. But what it does is it it does incite a dialogue within them, and that's our job. I I'm just gonna bring up the dialogue. I, I'm gonna let God do the rest of the work. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bring in the dialogue and 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 see what happens. We get a lot, and I have gotten a lot. I haven't published a a, a blog on Urban Confessional in a in a while, but. Uh, We had several blogs go very, very viral. We have over 8 million reads on one of our blogs. And so some of the um, comments we get there are, it's enlightening. We get everything from very personal attacks on me to, you know, um, somebody just posted something we had to take down about, white supremacy and white is right. And, and this was about a, this was a, a response to a blog on forgiveness or something. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But when I see those things, um, when I see people who troll our, our website or make these kind of comments on our, on our blogs or Facebook, uh, to me, that's, that's a, uh, it's a small projection of a, a hidden pain in them. And this might be the only place where they feel safe enough to actually say what they, have been holding in and so they make a blog that if I take they make a comment on a blog that if I take personally can be very hurtful but uh I I see it obviously as something in them because everything that we write everything we put out is designed to foster a a positive growth a positive conversation even if it's challenging and so I know everything we put out is coming from a a heart uh, and a tenderness for the world and that's not always well received but that's okay
0: we did notice that one of your most recent posts on Instagram actually was by a politician. Right. And um, we have no doubt that you received some pushback, both positively and negatively.
2: Right. The, the one you read from Barack Obama? Yes, that's right. Right. And that's <laughs> when I put that up, I thought, oh, no, this is going to be. <laughs> but we didn't get too much pushback on that, um, believe it or not. I think the quote is is so neutral and, and powerful uh, and uh, and also unlike. Unlike maybe the Listen First organization or something, our our space isn't a political space that we we speak in. So, I, I we don't get too much, we don't get as much pushback as as I would think we get. And maybe that's because the language we're using and the issue we're we're talking about is is more universal. And I don't distill it down, and uh, I work very hard to make sure that it's nonpartisan. And mm-hmm. and and. Uh, non-dualistic even in everything that we say. Uh, But yeah, when we posted the Barack Obama one, I did expect some pushback, but uh, we didn't get any, which is great. But it also might say something about our audience. So I don't don't know. (laughs) We actually thought one uh,
0: practice we'd love to implement is sometimes just to post a quote Without a name attached to it, just to see what happens and see what kind of response, and then actually post the the name (laughs) to the quote, (laughs) right, right? and see people's reaction (laughs) be interesting. Yeah, switching gears a little bit, uh, we actively follow Urban Confessionals blog, and one of our favorites emphasized a message about listening called withing. Hmm. And what is it with withing? What is withing exactly, and how does withing affect
2: the way that we listen? Wow. <laughs> I love that term. I, I love the term withing and it comes up when I'm trying to describe what free listening is. And it I think I, I think it came up in conversation in a workshop that I did um maybe three or four years ago when somebody was trying I was trying to express the nuance behind what it means to listen. And um for a lot of us, listening is just, you, you, you know, you can listen better if you follow these 10 steps, you know, and, and it's a checklist of things you can do to be a better listener. And to me, that always felt very prescriptive, very, it felt like walking into a hospital or something like it felt very sanitary. It didn't feel honest or right. real or vulnerable or messy. It, it was in no re- way a reflection of life. And so I, I thought, wow, well, that's not quite what free listening is. And I said to somebody, I said, you are just kind of free withing them, <laughs> just being with them is all you're doing. And sometimes being with them means that um, sometimes it means you're responding, you're speaking back. Sometimes it means you're just being quiet and holding a space. Sometimes it means that you are a little defensive and you might be holding the sign up because what's happening is make you very uncomfortable and you don't know how to handle it. And so the sign is a barrier that keeps you present. But ultimately, withing is uh, anytime that we can meet the person where they are and stand side by side with them in that experience. And that's it. And that might include, like I said, speaking or responding. It might include a hug. It might include just silent presence, but um, it is that kind of messy human experience of putting yourself in their shoes and standing next to them.
1: And that's it. We find that to be very beautiful. And that term withing is just is so valuable. And, and that's what we try to, to do as well and mm-hmm. to be uh, with people.
2: Yeah. You guys are master withers without a doubt. Well, thank you. A
1: lot of it is but, just but,
2: showing up.
1: Yeah. But it, and it's, yeah, and yeah, it's hard yeah. work uh, and not, you know, not a struggle, but, but it, you have to be very intentional mm-hmm. uh, to be with and it's important to be able to do that, and 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 it's one of the things we're trying to help teach people or show them uh, the importance of that. Because that's actually
0: one of the things you know. we've had to in trying to describe someone to tell it to his work is that we have never had a vision of being a hotline where we just mm-hmm. have people calling us at all hours of the day. I mean, we set up appointment times with folks, and uh, we we give them an allotted period of time, as much oftentimes as much as they need. And we're able to provide and we're fully present, fully engaged. Phones are off and it's just us and them. And, uh, and that's what they need. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we give them, again, that, that space.
1: We believe that everyone needs to know. We all have a desire and a need to, to, to know that we're not alone, mm-hmm. that someone, that others are with us mm-hmm. in whatever whatever is going on in our lives. And that's just so important. So we truly value that. And, and and resonate with it so strongly.
2: Was it Dan Rather who asked Mother Teresa something about her prayer? Um, <clears throat> uh, I'll botch this, but it'll make the point. I think Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, um, what, what's it like when you pray to God? And, and she said, well, I just listen. And then Dan Rather asked, well, what does God say to you? And Mother Teresa said, nothing. He just listens. <laughs> wow. And there was a, a sense of that mutual withing that, that, that r- reminds me of that mutual withing that we might have with uh, on a spiritual path. And to me, we can access that same spiritual profundity when we treat the other as a container for that divine presence. And if I'm just with it, then I might just get something. Or I might learn something or I might feel something and and they in turn may do the same thing because I know, I mean, I would like to imagine there's a part of me, let's just say, let's say the, the divine energy of the world sat down right in front of me and, and you can call it whatever name you want to call it, but let's just say it manifests right in front of me and I could do anything I wanted to do with God right in front of me. I might just want to sit there, <laughs> just be like, what? and And, and be with that. And see what that does um, and repress any of my need for answers, any of my need for fixing or or expressing my frustrations at, at this divine energy. I might just want to sit and be with it. And if I can see that in another person, then I can just I can be with it almost in awe of the humanity in front of me. And I have found that to be restorative for me and powerful for the person who is sharing in the experience.
1: We call that sacred.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really a, B- yeah. Big very camp. sacred. Yeah.
1: When we're in those moments, I mean, as we all know, we we are bombarded with so many things, mm. so much stimuli in our lives, and, and that that makes it very difficult to be with, mm. you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically. And when we can actually do it, and when others feel as if it's being done with them for them, it is very powerful. It really is.
0: Ben, do you have a favorite blog that you've ever
2: written with a specific message? Oh man. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I might. Um, The one that was most impactful was called how to listen when you disagree. And uh, I still stand behind that one. It's a pretty simple blog. um, And it came out at a time, I think when when it resonated with an issue the world was going through and, and that was a blog that, 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 has uh, been picked up in a lot of different places, and still I we get over a thousand reads a week on that blog. And in fact, if you Google how to listen when you disagree, that blog is the first thing that pops up. Uh, I'm very proud of that perspective that's expressed in the blog, and I hope that it can create a, a subtle shift in the way we we dialogue with each other in disagreement. <laughs> oh, see, I'm walking that line. So there's a blog that I wrote about things that make me cry that I really like that that was very meaningful to me. And, um, I think I had a lot of great conversations around that blog afterwards, after it was published and then, you give can us you the share notes? some, can you share notes some for, of those oh, things? Yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> um, maybe I could look it up really quick. Um, uh, but, uh, it was, it was a list of things and I, and I remember all of, all of my best writing comes, um, I, I'm, I'm somebody who writes in the evening most of the time and. A lot of my writing happens, uh, it happens very quickly, almost unedited. And this was one of those. And, and most of the blogs that I have written, and even the book that I just published was mostly, I mean, just kind of, just kind of happens, you know, the first one that comes to mind, which, which always works <laughs> is, um, this is, this is so specific, but so one of my, this is so cheesy, but it's true. One of my favorite, um, uh, Christmas songs is "O Come, O Come Emmanuel. And the Mormon Tabernacle Choir does a version of it. And at minute like 2.16, the Sopranos hit this note that is like, should be the final note of everything. And I mean, I can't, I mean, it's like, I can barely hold it in when I hear the note. And, and that, that is something so specific and something so small. But uh, to me, it, it, it taps into something much larger. And, and that is our ability to express such beauty. And our ability to share that beauty with the world to me is, is humbling and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So I, I wrote a, a couple things. So at church, anytime on the 4th of July, um, you know, and they have the service members stand up maybe at your church or wherever you might worship. Sometimes, uh, when people honor veterans, that makes me cry. I come from a family of veterans and something about that humility, seeing that humility in others, uh, makes me cry. Um, Okay, yeah. Uh, anytime I speak lovingly about somebody that I love in public, that's the end of it. Um, <laughs> whenever somebody prays over me, that makes me cry. Some, there's something about, uh, that kind of selflessness for my behalf that, that makes me cry. Um, uh, So, yeah, I wrote this. I wrote this, too. There's a moment in Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks's History of the World Part One is one of my favorite movies. And so is Spike Lee's, the original Mm. Kings of Comedy. (laughs) And they make me laugh so hard that I cry sometimes. (laughs) Um, uh, Elton John wrote a song called The Last Song. Oh, I love yeah, that song. Oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. And my, uh, here's a thing that I don't usually talk about, but it pertains to that song. Uh, I, my stepfather, who has since passed away, he uh, was one of the first people ever to contract the HIV virus in the 70s, and he died of AIDS in 2000. He oh, was, wow. he was a, um, he was at the forefront of a lot of the medical experimentation and AZT and things like that. And so the last song is a song that Elton John wrote that is very much about someone dying of AIDS and, and a reconciliation with his father. And actually, before I knew my stepfather had AIDS, which in the 80s and the 90s would have been um, you know, a dangerous revelation just socially, my mom actually kind of trained us to be in acceptance of that disease before I knew it was in my life. And so we were made to watch and the band played on. We were made to listen to the last song. And I remember driving home from work with my mom and the song came on the radio and we stayed in the garage and we listened to the whole song. She made us listen to the whole song and she talked to us about what AIDS was years before I ever knew that I was living with somebody who had it. And it was as if she was training us to be in acceptance of this disease and, and at the time, especially the homosexual community who was largely affected by it and, and was training us to be able to accept it. So by the time we were in high school and my stepfather was really getting sick, she could reveal that information to us with, and we had a foundation to process it from, which was, that was some expert parenting.
1: It's mm-hmm. a very touching story.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We're also very
2: sorry for
1: sharing, for sharing that.
2: Yeah, yeah. We
0: uh, we've been so humbled by your openness and your vulnerability since day one, uh, since we first met you, and that's certainly something that we've been very appreciative. So, so yeah. thank you.
1: Can you tell us another story or or, or two of you know people, someone or you know, or people whose lives have been have really been touched and impacted by your listening? What have you learned? What have you experienced? What have you heard and seen and felt?
2: Well, I have, you know, I have, um, that, that changes that the answer to that question changes a lot for me. And I have a few things that I I usually tell people when they ask me a question like that. And, and one of them is very impactful. Still, there was a young, young girl, probably 17, maybe actually probably 13, 14. I was free listening. She came and she ran and she gave me a hug and she said, I'm 75 days free. And I said, free of what? And she said, free of cutting myself. And she had scars all up and down her arms. And mm-hmm. and we have those, those types of interactions a lot. And a lot of people who are in recovery of some sort, I had somebody sit down and, and he was going to turn himself in. There was a warrant out for his arrest. And he, you know, he made a joke. He's like, well, this is the last conversation I'll have as a free man for a while. And I thought, wow. Okay. I hope you oh. he felt heard. <laughs> At least that, wow. Um, but I have done a lot of um, more recently, a lot of my work around listening has been with two communities, one uh, people with dementia and the other uh, people in high school. and it's almost like a two separate two opposite spectrums here. and what I'm seeing with the work I do with high school and college kids. I do a lot of work in colleges too. To be more specific, I might say, you know, young adults, 17, 16, 17, 18, uh, all the way maybe to 22, 23. So that, that kind of age range. There is an untapped potential, an untapped beauty, and there's a deep confusion right now. And I guess we could probably say that about all the young generations, but this seems to be different to me. The amount of young people I have coming up to me and sharing with me stories of just extreme tragedy, where it's whether it's uh, either an addiction to self-harm or just abuse by a family member. I, I don't. I, I don't. Uh, I, I'm sure this has always existed, and I'm wondering if they don't just now feel more comfortable sharing it. Than Maybe they had in the past because of social media and, and, and we can see in Netflix and films, there's, there's movies about this that encourage people to speak out and talk, but it is almost overwhelming the amount of young people I meet who, um, have experienced suicide, abuse, self-harm, and they come right out and, and, and speak very openly and very profoundly about it and will sit with me for hours and, and tell me about that. And it's, it's shocking to me. I, I, I don't remember that as, as, as pervasive when I was that age. Uh, And maybe it's just people weren't talking about it as much then because it wasn't as encouraged, but um, that that's hitting me a lot. That's, that's, that's something I've really been thinking about a lot is how pervasive I've experienced it to be. And then in, in the communities with dementia, I've been working with another organization called memory bridge, and I have been learning about what it means to sit and be with people who have dementia. And that is profound, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. That that's some of the most profound experiences I've ever had. And and not knowing how to be in that space, and what I'm learning is how to be awkward, how to be weird. And and what uh, Michael Verde, who's the founder of Memory Bridge, is teaching me is is how to be in that space of that new normal. And I've learned about people like Jean Vignet and 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 people who are holding that space at in bigger in a bigger capacity. And, and I've been very interested in, in what it means to hold that space for people. Cause I'm not, I am no way an expert at this and it feels uncomfortable and weird. And it really challenges the circumference of my compassion. Yeah. That
0: actually reminds us, uh, we met with a woman recently who uh, her mom has dementia and she talked about how it's forced her to be a better listener because she'll often hear the same things over and over and over mm-hmm and we recently wrote it actually caused us to reflect on that and we wrote a blog i think it's one of our most recent blogs uh, called deja vu and listening Mm -hmm. and how we have to be comfortable with deja vu in the sense that we have to be comfortable with hearing similar things over and over and over again because there are a lot of things in life that there's not quick fixes there's not short-term solutions And, uh, to be a good listener, we have to be willing to be with individuals, including ourselves, uh, who, who deal with similar things throughout their whole lives and and careers and stories. Right.
1: And we learn even, even with people who don't have dementia, that some experiences and instances in people's lives are so traumatic and so strong and profound that they need to tell and retell and tell again. And again, those stories in order to help to find healing, to find resolution, to find closure, if that's possible, to to just be able to move on. And, and we've learned how to be comfortable with hearing the same stories over and over and over again, because we know that's what people need.
0: Hey ben, I don't think you've done this thus far in this episode, but... It'd probably be good for our listeners today to learn a little bit more about some of the specifics of urban confessional. Uh, how, do, how exactly does it
2: work? Yeah, I love, I love that because I, I tell people all the time, it's like, well, it ain't rocket surgery. And we really just, I tell people that you probably already know how to do this, that you don't have to be ordained, you don't have to have a degree, you don't have to be a counselor, you don't have to be anything, um, but you might need to be reminded. And so one of the things that on our website, we have training materials, we have literature, we have videos, and we always have someone who's accessible to you. If you have questions, we always get back to you and, and help people get going. But really what it's about is uh, getting a group of people together, not doing it by yourself and making a sign that says free listening and going, standing on the street and seeing what happens. And I, I think one of the, the biggest general rules that I can communicate quickly is is that we we try to operate in what I like to call like an 80 20 split so it's 80 percent the speaker speaking and, and maybe it's 20 percent of me responding and most of the responses I encourage people to respond with are in form of questions so just questions about uh, maybe what they've shared questions about who they are or just and there's on our website we break down different types of questions you can ask and and, and the impact that those questions can have on the speaker But basically, if you show up and you are curious about the other, you're 75% of the way there. I said to somebody the other day, I'll do these workshops. The last workshop I did, I think the last workshop I did was in November in Toronto. And I remember going, look, I, I run a really fun workshop and it's interactive and I think you'll learn a lot from the workshop, but there's nothing I can teach you beyond, there's nothing I could teach you that the actual experience of free listening cannot teach you a hundredfold. And so at the end of the day, I tell people, um, research what you can on our website, make a sign and go see what happens. And it's, it's by stepping into that danger that you really learn what it is to be with somebody. You teed that up
0: perfectly for us uh, because this past summer, Michael and I had the opportunity to travel to Dublin, Ireland, and we finally were able to meet Ben face-to-face along with several other of our dear friends uh, that we had had solely a social media connection. Mm -hmm. And to be able to finally meet face-to-face was just spectacular. But one of the things that Michael and I were able to do is we were able to experience Urban Confessionals work firsthand, and and Ben led a workshop for several of the attendees for this organization that we had all been invited to present about our work. Uh, we were able to talk about someone to tell it to there and. Ben led this this, uh, this experience for a group of maybe 15 or 20 of us, and Michael and I, along with several others in this, this cohort, were able to go out on, on the street corners in the middle of Dublin, Ireland, and to experience this firsthand. One experience that stood out to me that I actually love to, to share with others is I was standing right in the heart of, of Ireland, Dublin, Ireland, and there were some really spectacular buildings all around us. And a man had come up to the guy who I was w- listening with, and he said, um, I just needed somebody to admire this building with me. And I, I had asked him, well, well, why is that? And he said, um, my my wife and I are traveling, and this is probably going to be our last trip together. She's not doing well. And she's back at her hotel. I think they were from Australia and uh they wanted to take one last trip together it sounded like maybe it was cancer she had went back to the hotel to rest and he he had never been to dublin before and it was i think their last day or second to last day and he wanted to see this part of dublin and uh he said i just needed to admire this building with someone and so the 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 guy who i was listening with we were able to just say we're happy to be here to to celebrate this experience with you and um I think that's so much of what life is all about is is shared common experiences, you know, sh- shared common humanity, and so that was my experience with Urban Confessionals work that's, firsthand, yeah, and uh, I'll I'll never forget that.
1: I'll never forget mine either. I was with um, a woman who was part of the group uh, there to learn and experience it, and and we were standing actually very nearby where Tom wa- was as well in a very very busy intersection in Dublin. And a young man came up to us, and he had earrings, many earrings and piercings, as well as more tattoos than we could count. And he stopped, and he looked at the sign, free listening. Really? It's free? You can say anything you want? And we said, yeah. And he said, well, what I do for a living, uh, I'm a hairstylist. One of the things I'm committed to is uh, styling the hair of, of people who are experiencing homelessness. You know, they come on a regular basis and, and we we help them to look better and to feel good and give them some 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 dignity. And he said, but you know what? It's not about the hair. It's about us listening to them when we're working on their hair. And he got it, he understood that um, that what he was doing while he was helping them to look better physically and feel better physically, what was even more important was the way he was helping them to feel by his listening to helping them to feel emotionally and maybe spiritually, mentally. And uh, it was just really touching uh, that, that, that this young man uh, who understood that. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that, you know, that interaction with him uh, because uh,
2: he understood what free listening meant. That's what I mean there's nothing anybody could teach yeah, <laughs> like what no, the, no. you know the, the workshop it, it might be nice and fun it gives me something to do or someone to participate but you get out there and I think everything we need as a as a as humanity everything we need is there for us if we'll only make ourselves available to it and when we go out into the street and we open ourselves up just to listen to be with people then every single possible spiritual, emotional bit of nurturing and nutrient is there. And I think a lot of us seclude ourselves and feel like the world's a horrible place. There's nothing but you know dog fighting out there and, and arguing and yelling, and I don't want to go into the world, when actually it's by going into the world that we realize everything in our inner world that needs to be nurtured could be available for us out there if we'll be open to being with it by interactions with strangers, by just observing or listening to the world around you. And it's almost as if it was designed that way for us to be able to be in that flow with one another. But it does take that risk of, of stepping out, opening your heart, letting go of your intentions, offering your attention to someone else and, and see if they can't usher you towards a new way of understanding, which might just be the solve for the discontent on the inside.
1: You know, we we believe we're living in a world of um, disconnection, isolation, extreme loneliness sometimes. And we believe, we often say that that listening is the antidote. Do you agree with that? We know you agree with that. Uh, But can you tell us uh, a little bit more how you see this play out in in the world and in people's lives, this listening stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah. This listening. stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Listening. I I do think listening is the antidote. And you know, it's so funny, this question about where is this going and how, how does listening play out? How does it do? I have a hard time answering that not because I can't see what it could do or understand its power, but because it seems to me so limitless that it's hard to articulate. Because to me, the very root of our connection to one another begins with this word listening. And, and I think we misunderstand the word sometimes. I think a lot of us think listening means something I do with my ear or something, how I receive verbal communication. But listening is so much more. Listening is about uh, a physical connection, an emotional connection, empathetic connection. And if we allow ourselves to listen with different parts of our body or or allow ourselves to be in tune with one another, to be with one another, then we might just find even the solidarity in our pain, solidarity in our loneliness, and ultimately an understanding of one another that transcends any prejudice, that transcends any discontent. And as soon as we get to a place of deep knowing, then it's almost impossible to hate someone, I, I think. And, and even the people who you hate, even the people who you are in conflict with, and of course, this isn't my messaging. I've I've written about this and I know you two understand, of course, they've been telling us this for thousands of years, that if you love the unlovable, that all it will do is change the world. And, Mm. uh, and that's why I love the Mr. Rogers quote. How, how sad is it? We often give up on people who are just like us and, and you know, to bring it back, even we did have someone comment, well, not everybody's just like me. And I thought, that's the point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) That that we're all difficult to deal with and that we all are, we all are struggling. We're all a a mixture of joy and fear. We all want to be loved. We all have dreams and hopes and we've had those dreams and hopes challenged. We've given up, we've succeeded. But the, the human experience is one of wholeness and and light and dark and up and down and it's played out in each one of us and when we get to understand that in the other then all of a sudden we realize like thomas merton said we are already one then
0: we know that you're an actor by trade and you teach acting how has the acting world responded to urban confessionals miss- mission
2: and message That's a really good question. How has the acting world responded to this? Um, well, they have. And when I, I used to work in production and I was head of production for a film finance and production company. And whenever we would take meetings with people who wanted to invest with us or pitch us a film or something like that. And and we didn't know them, my partner and I, who's a huge supporter of urban confessional and has done it many times internationally and, and a huge supporter, we would, uh, We would just meet with them for coffee and eventually we'd talk about urban confessional just in the conversation. And we would base whether or not we wanted to work with this person (laughs) based on their response to the principles behind urban confessional. And many people were like, wow, that's beautiful. What a cool thing. And we thought, okay, well, you, you've reached, you know, the base level filter for us. Like you don't, you think this idea is at least beneficial. We can keep talking. And if some people would just stare at you blankly and be like, oh, yeah, weird. And then they just keep talking. And we thought, no, this isn't the type of person we want to work with. But by and large, any artistic community, whether it's actors or painters or whatever, I have found that embedded in any artistic practice is a deep, deep need and understanding and practicing of empathy. And so listening for an artist, and I would say that everyone's an artist, but listening for Listening for someone who proclaims themselves to be a professional artist is second nature. And so when I describe what Urban Confessional is to someone who self-identifies as an artist of some sort, they often go, yeah, that makes sense. And, and they understand what it's about. And many of them participate. And many of them actually know that listening is a central part to their work. And so they may have practiced listening in other capacities, like it's a it's a traditional thing for actors to practice is listening in the classroom. I just said, let's go out and do it in the world and really, really practice it. Um, But yeah, artists are that those are my community and I love it. And I believe everybody to be an artist, of course, but they're very intentional about their listening because it's a very central part to their work. Michael and I were privileged to come
0: out to LA not too long ago and again, get to meet you face to face and spend some time, some quality time together. Shortly after we had returned from Dublin this past summer, we had this, this idea of creating some kind of a public service announcement to grow uh, awareness about this listening, if you want to call it a movement that is happening, that urban confessional and someone to tell it to and listen first and all these other organizations and groups, sidewalk talk are all a part of. And um, we were privileged to be able to meet some of the, 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 uh, the actors that you have in community out there. And they were willing to be a part of this public service announcement. And we're really excited for that to go live in the next few weeks or months ahead. What are some stories uh, from the acting community that maybe you could tell others about how they've implemented some of the tools in the the things that they're creating.
2: It's uh, it's actually easy to see, in my opinion. And people ask me when they come to visit my class or see what I'm doing as an acting teacher, which is is, is very different than what a lot of other acting teachers are doing because, because of Urban Confessional. And they'll ask me, does everyone in your class do Urban Confessional? And I'm like, well, I can't make people do it, but a lot of them do. And the ones who do, um, they have a different uh, presence on stage than the ones that don't. And, I, you know, kind of anecdotally, I will say things like, look, if, if you can be present to a stranger on the streets who's struggling with something different, then there's something difficult, then you can be present to your agent or to another actor, or, you know, you, you can, you learned how to hold space in difficult situations, which is so much of what it means to be an actor. <clears throat> and so a lot of our actors go on the street pretty regularly. And I don't always ask what happened and what they heard, but I always recognize that they've been in that practice because it's very obvious in their work. Very obvious.
1: That's really neat. It's great to hear that, uh, that it, that it, you can see, you can, you can see how it makes a difference.
2: Yeah. Acting is about truth. And I think a lot of people think acting is about faking it or pretending, but it's, it's actually Mm. quite the opposite. Acting is about being very truthful in, in these fictional circumstances and, I I do believe that listening and the practice of listening is one of the fastest ways to access that inner truth. Because if you're deeply listening, then you have surrendered, hopefully, a lot of the things that block us from our truest self, like self-consciousness and prejudice and and these things. And if you're deeply listening, a lot of those um, things that cloud our vision of our authenticity, they disappear. And so if that's what the actor or the person is practicing, then when they're asked to access that truth in a performance or in a um, scene or, or in, a, in a painting, it doesn't matter. When they're asked to access that truth, they've been practicing access to truth through their listening. And it comes more naturally, which means it can go more deeply. And uh, so you, you see some enormous shifts in the person and therefore reflected in their work.
1: We know we don't have much time left and we want to ask you this what are your hopes for the future you know personally and professionally and and for the what we hope is a global listening movement that we're all a part of what would you like to see what would you like to have happen
2: oh gosh that's a good question you know that's one of the questions that i get quiet around because i go oh there's what there's so much how much time do we have but i can reduce it down to something um um You know, I think for me personally, I I feel as if my calling in the world right now at least is to help others understand a sense of their own worth and significance in as many ways as I can, which for me using my skill set is often around writing or or acting or expressing themselves, uh, whatever that in, in that world is where I get to live. So that's where I get to do that work of ushering others or helping others recognize their own significance and worth so to me listening is maybe the fastest way to do that being a listener and being heard both bring us into that deeper sense of our own belovedness and and worth and value and so to me if i my greatest hope would to be out of a job (laughs) in that sense because and whether it's through listening or expressing yourself through your art or, um, you know, healing certain relationships, which often begins with listening, by the way, um, ushering others into that significance or into a place where they can realize that significance, that would be my biggest hope for the world and and uh, for this listening movement that so many of us are involved in and also for my other work as an artist. Mm.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you. If people want to learn more about Urban Confessional and want to be a part of
2: this free listening movement, what do they need to do? Well, for Urban Confessional, you can go to our website, which is urbanconfessional.org. And on there, we've got our training videos and our literature and uh, blogs and cool pictures and things like that. Um, and hopefully that'll inspire you and get you going. And then if you reach out to us through that website, we'll personally respond and help answer any questions and, and get you moving. And that's how you can get to Urban Confessional or on our social media, which is on Instagram at Urban Confessional, on Facebook at Urban Confessional, and Twitter at F- Free Listening. You see, I can't remember what it is on Twitter, but if you look at it, we're there. Um, and, and you can reach us in, in all of the ways that people are reached nowadays.
1: Benjamin, we would love to have you back. If you're willing to do that, uh, to talk more uh, about the public service announcement as it as it continues to develop and and more happens with that, that we've worked on together. We'd love to talk about that and and just so much more. I mean, this this movement is obviously a passion for all of us. And um, we have uh, been very thankful that we've met you and that we can be partners with you in it. And, uh, you know, you're a dear friend because you listen well. And you value what we value, Mm. and about the sacredness of other human beings, and the importance of us caring for one another by listening first to one another, Mm. you know, and everything we do.
0: So thanks so much for listening today. Please continue to follow our mission and our podcast at someone to tell it to.org. Thank you again.